A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day. We don't really know exactly when St. Patrick was born. We believe that it was the year 390, but we don't know the day. However, we do know the day that he died, and that was March the 17th, 461. And so we honor Patrick on the day that he died, since we know that date. Tomorrow there's going to be great celebrations all around the country, but especially on the East Coast, where we know that Many of the Irish immigrated and settled in the Great Potato Famine. And so you'll have great celebrations going on from Boston to Philadelphia, uh, out to Chicago and, and over to New York. In fact, New York has the, the oldest and the largest St. Patrick's Day celebration in the country. It's been going on for 250 years. Tomorrow there will be 200,000 people who are participants in the parade. There will be three million people who are there to view the parade. It's an incredible celebration. In Chicago, you know in Chicago they have the river that runs right through town. And that river has turned green. They've been doing this now for 40 years. The river is running green through Chicago. And it's an incredible sight to see. There will be so many people who are wearing their green and their shamrocks and partying and food and drink. It's going to be this big day of celebration for St. Patrick's. What what I'm curious about is, just how much do you know about St. Patrick? Do you know, for instance, that St. Patrick isn't Irish? St. Patrick was born in England, 390. He was born in England to a good family, well-to-do. He got a good education as a boy growing up. His family were Christian, so he grew up going to church, though Patrick will admit very openly his faith did not mean much to him when he was a teenager. We also know that it was in those days that the Irish were sending out raiding parties from Ireland over to England. And they would come and they would steal along the coast to these little towns, hamlets, find a small village, and they would come and steal the children. And they would do it in the middle of the night and they would rush back and put them on a boat and they would sail back to Ireland sometimes before people even woke up to know their children were gone. Certainly before they were able to rally any kind of army or anything to try to stop these raiders. No, they did it time after time. And so the Irish were very much involved in slave trading, stealing these young teenagers, these children, from England and carrying them back to Ireland. Patrick was 16 years old when the raiders came and they got him one night. He was taken back to Ireland and there he was sold to a man named Milanek. He was a slave for the next six years. Milanek sent him out into the hills of Ireland to tend the sheep. He was a shepherd. Now you'd be sent out there and you might not see anyone for a week, sometimes two. Sometimes a month, maybe two months, 
you might go without seeing another human being. Which also meant you were not receiving food, the sustenance. No, Patrick would later write in his life, there were two things that were my constant companions, hunger and nakedness. He said, my stomach was always growling and it was hard to stay warm. Out in the Irish hills, it was tough. There he was, this slave, taking care of the sheep. And while he was on the hills of Ireland, he began to pray. The the, the faith that he had not taken seriously back home, he turned to now as he found himself a slave. And he began to pray more and more and more. To where finally Patrick said he was praying a hundred times a day. And he was praying a hundred times at night. And as he prayed more and more, his soul began to grow. His spirit went deeper. And there he found a reason to be able to be sustained, to find hope, to find peace. In the midst of this difficult situation, his faith began to sustain him. And then one day, he went to sleep. And that night, a voice came. A person came and said, Patrick, rise up. Your prayers have been heard. It's time to go home. Your ship awaits. He knew that it was Christ who was speaking to him. And so the next morning, Patrick got up believing that he was wrapped in Christ and decided to walk off from being a shepherd and to head east. He knew he'd hit the coastline sooner or later. It wasn't that big of an island. He didn't really know where he was. But he began to walk, and we believe he walked about 200 miles. He'd finally traveled 200 miles, and he would hit the coast. It would be a seaport town. Now, the fact that he was never followed or stopped or questioned on that journey of 200 miles is nothing short of a miracle. But he made it to the seaport town, and now was the most dangerous of times. When you're there, now people would start to ask questions. Who are you, and what are you doing? He went straight to the seaport captain and to the captain of the ship, and he said, I'd like to sail with you. They had Irish hounds, these dogs that were valuable in England, and they wanted to go over to... England, and the captain said, I'm not interested in talking to you. I have no interest in you. Patrick turned, again, knowing this was a vulnerable moment, and began to walk away, but not afraid. He somehow believed this is what God called him to do. And so he was in prayer, show me what you want me to do. Where am I supposed to go? And as he's walking away, one of the sailors hollers out and says, come with us. If you want to go, we're leaving now. You can sail with us. Patrick ran back to the ship, jumped on. They cast off the dock lines, and they were out of there. It took them three days in order to sail over to England. When they arrived in England, they got off and started to move to the countryside, and they didn't find anyone. They didn't find anyone. They didn't find any town. They didn't find any food. It was like devastation had happened. Remember that this is not going to be somewhere we think around 4, 10, 12, we're not exactly sure. Most historians say what probably happened was the barbarians, this nomadic German people, the people who were illiterate and who were so hungry, they had crossed over the river and they were sweeping down through Europe. They moved into Gaul, known as Britain, and they also would ultimately find themselves on the doorstep of Rome in 410. They probably had swept through. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of these people. They were like locusts consuming everything. And so there would be devastation and nothing. They didn't know that when they landed. They were following in the heels of what had happened. 
And now they all became so hungry and thought they were going to starve to death. And they turned to Patrick and said, you believe your God is so strong and why don't you feed us? And Patrick said, then have a little faith here. Why don't we all bow our heads and pray? And so everybody bowed their head to pray and Patrick began to pray and said, Oh God, we believe we're following you. We're trying so hard. We are hungry. You know our needs. No more had Patrick said amen. Then they heard a noise and here came a herd of pigs coming over the hill. That night they ate well. They were thrilled. It was a wonderful meal. And they began to say, This God of Patrick must be great. They did not want to hold Patrick as any kind of captive, and they let him be free. It would take him almost a year for Patrick to get back home in England. Well, when he arrived back home, he's now a young man in his early 20s. And when he walked in the door, can you imagine how his mom and dad felt? Their child had been stolen when he was 16 years old. They never expected to see him again. And suddenly Patrick is back and he writes about it. They fell on my neck and they hugged me and we cried and they held me. And his mom and dad said, what you can expect, they'd say, I'm never letting you out of my sight again. You're never leaving this house again. Oh, they were so happy to hold on to Patrick and to love him, to have him back home. And Patrick began to adjust to freedom and living at home. And then one night in a dream, a man came to him. A man that he had met in Ireland, and he was carrying a fistful of letters. And they were for Patrick. And Patrick opened the letter, and he began to read, and it said, Come back to us. We need you. And God spoke to Patrick and said, I want you to go back to the Irish. Patrick prayed about it, he thought about it, and he decided that's what God was calling him to do. So he decided to become a priest. He went to the south of France to go to seminary. And there he began to study. But, you know, he had lost part of his education. I mean, when all the rest of his friends were still going to school, he had been a slave with the sheep out on the hills of Ireland. And studying was so hard for him to try to catch up. But he worked hard. He would graduate. He'd be ordained as a priest. And Patrick said, I want to be a missionary to Ireland. And all the hierarchy said, what? Why would you want to go to Ireland? Understand, Ireland had never been conquered by the Romans. Patrick would be the first missionary to go to a country that had not been first conquered by the Romans. Romans were pretty proud of themselves and their culture and their architecture and all these things. And now you were going to go to a pagan country, Ireland. These are just pagan people. Who cares about them? But if you want to go be that kind of a missionary, they said, fine. They made him a bishop. So just in case you get a church started, you have the power to organize things. And so here he had studied, got ordained a priest, gets ordained a bishop, and he sends out to go to Ireland. We believe that Patrick shows back up in Ireland in his early 40s. He would serve there for almost 30 years. When Patrick would die, some things were different. This was a culture that believed very much in human sacrifice. You had to sacrifice for God. And Patrick came and said, no, no, there's no sacrifice necessary. One has already given his life for you. He would end human sacrifice there in Ireland. He began to speak out against slave trading, the stealing of children. That would end before before Patrick would die. 
all the warring between the Irish kings, it would diminish significantly. He started all kinds of monasteries, and, and people began to take seriously growing education, knowledge there in Ireland. He literally changed Ireland. Now understand, Patrick was no frowning saint. He didn't show back up all self-righteous and strong going, man, let me tell you, what you people are doing wrong and you better turn or burn. You're in trouble here. He didn't show up in that kind of attitude. You were wrong to me, let me tell you about it. He didn't say those things. Now, we know that when Patrick showed back up, he showed up with an incredible spirit of courage, but compassion. Incredibly generous and loving. He was a man who knew how to have fun, to embrace life, and he touched the hearts of the people of Ireland. Patrick was able to do that because he discovered what it meant to say, I know what it means to be loved by God. I'm made for goodness. And I believe the Irish are as well. This morning, I want to continue on this sermon series, Made for Goodness. You know, last week we were looking at that book, by that title, written by Desmond Tutu and his daughter, Impa. They wrote the book and they helped us to go back and think about Genesis 1. If you were here last week, you know the foundation for this Lenten series is the story in Genesis 1, the creation story, where we read, you were, when God made them male and female, He created them in His image. And He called them very good. Not just good, but very good. To be made in God's image. We said last week that, you know, sometimes you and I forget our nature, who we are, that we're made in the image of God. Sometimes we live with meanness and cynicism. We are hurtful to one another and angry. We forget who we are. And so what we do in the season of Lent is we're supposed to focus on the suffering, the passion, the death of Christ. For when we look at Christ, then we come to ourselves. We remember who we are, that we need to be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. We come to ourselves. And we are different. What we discover is slinging insults for insults, that doesn't feel good. Returning meanness for meanness, that doesn't make you happy. Being angry with others, that doesn't bring you joy. And what we discovered is, you know, being good feels good. Forgiving feels good. Being reconciled feels good. You don't try to be good because you're wanting to. You don't do good things because you want to be good. You're already good. You do good things because it resonates with your nature. It seems right in your soul. And so we want to look at the the Christ through this season and try to remember who we are. Patrick knew who he was. A child loved of God who was called to go out and to love the people of Ireland. I want us to look at him this morning and there's just two things that I want us to see about him. First of all, Patrick was serious about the discipline of prayer and listening to God. For six years, he had the opportunity. He chose to take it. For six years on the hills of Ireland, he prayed and prayed, and that's when his faith began to grow over time as he prayed and learned to listen. And one day he'd hear God speak, it's time to go home, your ship is ready. 
Another time it here, I want you to go back. And once he got back, time after time, day after day, he would hear God lead his life. Are you taking seriously the listening? Yeah, I've been telling you about Chris Hadfield. Fascinating guy. The Canadian who became the commander of the International Space Station just last year. Flying in space for five months. He's got all kinds of uh, YouTube videos that are just fascinating. But Chris Hadfield, he's a great guy. But he was talking about when he got ready to go fly into space, he had to go into quarantine. And quarantine, you know, is different now. He said, you know, you get named to fly a space mission three years before you blast off. For three years, you work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And then they take and put you in quarantine for about 12 days and you do nothing. You're treated well, but it's really strange when you go through that being pulled back. If you think about it, when we first started going into space, when we shot Alan Shepard, Gus Grissom, John Glenn, whenever they came back, we put them in quarantine. We're afraid of what they were bringing back from space. But as time went on, we began to realize as you stayed in space for a week or two, people were getting sick going into space. It wasn't what they brought back. It's what began to happen in space because they all seemed to be getting head colds and because you know your sinuses don't run when there's no gravity. You can't clear your sinuses. Yeah, so if you're already prone to get a cold or get a head, that starts to happen. And what they found was your immune system doesn't work as well, so you get the sickness easier, it stays longer, it's harder to get over. And you know, you're living shoulder to shoulder, and so that means if one gets sick, the second gets sick, the third gets sick. There's all kinds of weird things happen when you're up there in space for an extended time. I mean, did you know that heat does not rise in space? Really weird things start to take place, and so they said, we've got to get people healthy before they go into space. So they started putting them in quarantine for six to seven days, the length of time usually a virus will present itself. And then when the, the Soyuz in Russia, they didn't do six to seven days. You know, if the Americans do six to seven, we'll, we'll do uh, 12 to 13. And so you had to go into quarantine for 12 days. And they treated you well. But he said it was so strange being in quarantine. I want to read you what he had to say. As our time in quarantine drew to a close, I felt more confident and focused every day. I doubt that I'd have felt that way if someone had told me, show up on Wednesday morning and you're going to space at noon. I probably would have spent the previous day running around doing all the things that everyone does before a trip. Packing, paying bills, picking up the dry cleaning. When you're careening full speed toward a deadline, you usually arrive breathless still mentally scanning your to-do list. For me, going into a high-pressure situation, feeling calm and fully prepared, enables me to live more fully in the moment. These days, the purpose of quarantine is as much psychological as it is medical. An enforced timeout ensures we pause, consider what we're about to do, and deliberately begin to transition to a new kind of existence. Emotionally and physically, quarantine is a halfway house en route to life in space. We pause and consider what we're about to do and deliberately begin to transition to a new kind of existence.
That's what Lent is supposed to be. When you and I deliberately pause in a 40-day period before Easter, where we are deliberate and conscious about looking at our lives and reflecting and examining ourselves. We said last week, like Impa, Impa with her children, Tutu, she asked her children to evaluate their life each day. Two questions. Did what you say, was it necessary? Was it nice? Each day we said we're going to stop, evaluate our lives. Is it necessary? Was it nice? We're going to pause because we can do this a different way if we're serious about the praying and the listening. For Patrick, he was on the hills of Ireland and he was praying and he learned to listen. And what did he hear God say? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all people will know you are my disciple if you have love for one another. In our scripture lesson we hear Jesus on the night of the Last Supper have a pause. He is about to be betrayed, beaten, suffer, and crucified. In that night Jesus wants to kind of sum up it all. And what's the one thing he wants to say to his disciples? The one thing you need to remember? A new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. By this all people will know you're my disciple if you have love for one another. It was the big thing. Which is the second point. The second thing I want us to see is that when Patrick came back to Ireland, he focused on the big thing. The one thing. Do you know what it means to say you're loved by Christ? And what does it mean to love each other? That's what Patrick focused on. Understand the culture that Patrick came back to in Ireland. Very different. It wasn't a Romanized world. It was just a pagan world. Had all their own traditions. They believed in druids. They believed in spirits in the woods. You might call them leprechauns. When Patrick came back, he didn't try to speak against leprechauns or you can't believe in druids or the spirits in the woods. He didn't try to stop their pagan festivals. No, he came to talk about, wait a minute, you don't have to have a child sacrifice. The sacrifice has been made. One has already died. Do not sacrifice people. He came to talk about love, not to try to fight the pagan festivals or believing in spirits in the woods. You know, tomorrow, so many people are going to look like leprechauns. They put on their hats and they're going to be, you'll see them everywhere with all the little leprechauns going everywhere. You know, it's fascinating because leprechauns, in the early days, these spirits in the woods, they were pretty mean. They might be nice to you one day. They might try to kill you the next. They were supposed to tell you, don't come out here. That's Patrick's day. Well, they've kind of evolved through the centuries. And now we look at leprechauns in a Disney-like fashion. They're fun. They, they're mischievous. I mean, you know what a leprechaun does for a living. I mean, you know, they're cobblers. That's what a leprechaun does, these spirits now. They, they repair shoes. And they make a good living and they're able to take all of their money and they put their gold in a pot and they hide it at the end of a rainbow. That's what leprechauns do. But they're very mischievous and they love to kind of get to you and pull tricks on you. That's why on St. Patrick's Day you're supposed to wear green. Because leprechauns can't see green and so you become invisible to leprechauns and that way they can't be mischievous to you. And if you forget to wear green, it's why you get pinched because someone's going to be mischievous to you. 
And so how many people are going to be wearing shamrocks tomorrow? We're going to wear shamrocks. And people think, oh, yeah, see, I'm, see, I'm Irish. I'm celebrating the Irish. No, no. St. Patrick wanted to talk about God, and he knew they believed that God was out in all of creation in nature. And so he took the shamrock with its three leaves and said, you know that God is in nature. Well, let me tell you about God. There's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three ways you know God, but in one creation, it was something they could understand. The shamrock was a way to explain the Holy Trinity, since they already believed God was so much in nature. Well, yeah, let me tell you, don't you see? Nature tells you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you put on the shamrock tomorrow and you're going to celebrate, well, you don't put it on because you're Irish, put it on because you're saying, I believe in God. And the way that Patrick tried to teach us. That's what you're saying. No, it's really fascinating. When, when he came, he focused on the main thing. If you look at someone like Augustine, Augustine is in the Latin, the Western Church. Augustine would write all about the fall and original sin, the, uh, how man was deprived, all about sins of the flesh. Patrick didn't talk about any of that stuff. Patrick tried to talk about... You're loved by God. So start loving each other. It is fascinating how things begin to change under Patrick because he focused on the main thing. I told you, you know, Patrick was the first missionary to speak out against slavery. St. Paul didn't speak out against slavery. Augustine didn't speak out against slavery. St. Patrick is the first Christian missionary to say slavery is wrong and he'd be the last one to talk about it for almost a thousand years. St. Patrick said, God loves you. And if you love other people, would you, take their would you want your children taken as slaves? That's not loving others the way you want to be loved. Slavery ended. Child sacrifice ended. The warring all diminished to almost nothing. Sometimes I think the church, if we're not careful, we, we get lost in the small things. We forget the main thing. I mean, how often church, you'll hear churches discussing, well, you've got to be sprinkled, you've got to be poured, you've got to be immersed when you get baptized. We fight about how much water it takes to be baptized. The date of Easter. The date of Easter. Is Easter supposed to be celebrated on the first Sunday after the first full moon of the spring equinox? Or do you do that on the Julian calendar or the Gregorian calendar? Or does it have to be after Passover? Or that was such a big deal at about 1,000, the church split into the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. We split because we couldn't agree on how to celebrate Easter. I think God was sad. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all people will know you're my disciples. He didn't say, all people will know you're my disciples if you have Easter on the right date. All people know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Patrick didn't try to stop the pagan festivals. I have a feeling he could have celebrated leprechauns. He enjoyed talking about the, ire, the, the, the shamrock. He wanted to focus on the big thing. Well, about the snakes. We've got to talk about the snakes. Did St. Patrick drive out all the snakes from Ireland? The answer is no. 
You see, the truth of the matter is, there are no snakes in Ireland today, and there never have been any snakes in Ireland. The water around Ireland is way too cold for snakes to migrate from England over to Ireland, and it's too cold for them to survive. So what really happened was the Irish built up this legend about St. Patrick because if you go back to Genesis, the second chapter, the second creation story, you remember how the snake kind of becomes the symbol of evil in the creation story in Eden. And what the Irish wanted to say was Patrick came and he drove out the snakes. He drove out the evil. He drove out all the, the child sacrifice. He drove out the desire for slavery. He, he drove out our warring nature. He drove out the snakes of Ireland, our evil nature, in order to remember who we are. Patrick came, and he focused on the big thing, the one thing. What does it mean to be loved by God and to love one another? And transformed that country. What's special about Patrick, I believe, is that he believed he had been loved by God, and he was made for goodness, and that's what he wanted to share. And so a spirit in Ireland was created, a spirit that I think you get, the spirit that comes across in what was written later and is called the Irish Blessing. It's the feel that I think he helped to create in that country. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face and rains fall softly upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. I believe God does want to hold you in the palm of his hand. Because you're made in the image of God, you are made for goodness. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.